sermon this morning is probably less sermon, more processing an idea. I, I hope you're comfortable with that. Um, this is, wasn't where I intended to go this week as I chose the passage and had it in the lineup. Um, there's a little bit more uncertainty, um, more pondering an idea that's well, it's in process. It's an experience. And I want to invite you into that process with me because I'm thinking that if I'm struggling with this, maybe you are too. And this whole thing began uh, with a question that popped up in a conversation I had not very long ago. And the question is, how much time do you spend hanging out with God? How much time do you spend hanging out with God? Now, when that question was dropped in my lap, uh, I, I found it difficult to immediately answer the question. Because what, it, what does it mean to hang out with God? Is it prayer time? Is it study? Is it reading? Is it meditation? Is it some combination of that? And should I include my sermon prep time? I mean, good, I'm hanging out with scriptures for know, some weeks, over 20 hours, put together this for you and praying about it. Um, does it include my on-the-clock as a pastor time? Or does it only apply to stuff that I do off the clock for me, myself? And, and it gets more complicated when, when I start considering my seeming to daydream, to, to get lost in pondering God as I, I observe Him in the world around me. Is, is it time when I'm enthralled with the work of His hand as Creator God. You know, you've heard me say enough, every sunrise is a masterpiece. Is that part of my hanging out with God? Every person is a unique treasure. I, I believe that. I don't get along with everybody, and I don't enjoy everybody, but, but they're all a unique treasure. God wove them together on purpose. I'll talk to him later about why he did that for some of us. Every raindrop is a jewel. You ever notice that? And every flower captures some of his fragrance. Is, is it hanging out with God when that's where I'm caught? Now, for some people, the argument is uh, the difference between some kind of theological construct. I, I have to have something that seems organized. Then there's other people who are just content to be in a process with them. And they want to digest God, to boil him down to a couple of phrases. And some of us, we, we just want to enjoy God in the midst of him enjoying us, which I am pretty sure has got to be difficult. I know me. And so I ended up with the answer, enough time. And I, I know that might be a bragging thing or sound bragging, but as I thought about it, it's more than some people, it's less than other people. It's enough that I have things to share, and I can do that any time. You can do it in the middle of the aisle at the supermarket. Because there's always stuff that's fresh in my mind. It's enough for me to be vital that I can stand here or wherever I'm gathered with people and offer something that God is helping me process 
in my own life so that I can bottle it actively and lay it before others for them to consider. But is it enough? Is it enough to satisfy that, that deep down inside longing to know the one who wove me together, the one who just longs to touch me? Is it enough for that? And so this morning, as I, I kind of laid the problem before you, we're not even finished text yet, but as I lay that problem before you, I invite you to pray for me. That I do hang out with God enough to satisfy all of that and to do it for me. And then to do it so I can be there for you. Pray for me. You see, I've watched too many pastors get caught up in the pastoring thing. And it's a vicious cycle trying to hang out with God so he's got a sermon or the next Bible lesson or working on the next degree, some kind of dissertation or presentation and it becomes all theory and not practice. And they fail in those moments to care for their own soul. And then they wither and they come up empty. And they're not effective. And the scary reality is that being pastor has time demands, potentially crazy time demands. And they fight for the moments of my life. Very, very. There's Celeste pastors and kids and families. And some of that demand on time doesn't seem practical, reasonable, even that we can pull it off. And so if we don't have some kind of intentional plan to care for our soul, it's just too easy to think, well, it's just one of those busy spells. I'll, I'll catch up later. But we never do, do we, Gary? We just hang there if we get caught in those moments. And the pastor is driven, usually by himself, to produce, to be effective, to be pleasing. Sometimes we can't be pleasing. We have to get in people's face, and it seems ugly. But sometimes that's what it takes. And that drive is outward. It's pushing out. But God is in the business of wooing us. And that's internal. It's inside. It's a heart tug. It's a soul tweak. It's something that if we're busy and noisy, we'll miss. And I share all that because you're exactly like me. We're just people. I have a different title. But we're all facing the demands of a busy world, busy lives, families running here and there. And we're trying. We're trying. And sometimes we just don't try hard enough, or sometimes we try too hard. And so this morning, I want to take you to a song. A shepherd boy. A king. A song. David has become my tutor, if you will. As I've been digging through some of these psalms, several we've laid before you, looking for what I need, what we need as individuals. And as I hang out with this, this man, or the words this man left behind, I'm finding out that I'm a lot like him, more like him than I want to be like him. For instance, I'm a sinner like David, and I can lie to myself about sin. And I'm told by others that they struggle with the very same thing. 
But for instance, I need God in my daily life. I desperately need Him in my daily life, and yet it seems I can live a whole day or a couple days and not feel like or look like I need God at all. That's a dangerous area for any one of us to find ourselves in. And I don't know about you, but I'm prone to wander. And I can easily justify my wandering as, well, I can't always be on the clock. If only there were more spiritual guardrails to corral us so we didn't get lost in the day. And I know it's my battle, but I know, and I've heard from enough of you and some other people, that it's our battle. We're in this together. Well, we're in this alone, we're going to fall alone. Now, the other thing I'm learning from David is that I need to spend more time just being with God. Not trying to understand Him, not trying to define Him, not trying to capture what He's in process of doing all around me, but just being with Him. These quiet moments where He is, and I will use this word very carefully, where He is the entertainment. It could be the rainstorm. It could be the moments we're caught up in. But He is the one providing all the activity that needs to be going on, and I'm receiving. I'm part of it. I'm drawn along with Him. And while He's doing that entertaining, if you will, I'm listening. I'm observing. You're listening. You're observing. Or at least we should be doing it. And it's not sermon writing, because that's preparing something for somebody else that you hope fits. And it's not daily devotional readings, because that's just borrowing somebody else's devotional thoughts. I'm talking about developing my own or your own devotional thoughts that come in the moment of being with God. And so that's going to demand you and me figuring out how do we carve out more time in this crazy life we're trying to live so that we can just be and be overwhelmed by Him. This is an inward adventure. It's for soul growth. And it enables everything else in our lives. I'm going to read for you, and I just want you to listen at this point, to what David wrote in Psalm 61. Then we're going to come back and I'll try to pull it apart for you and show you what I saw. And then later you can tell me what you're seeing. And maybe the next time I preach this, I'll do it differently. David wrote, Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee, and my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower for my enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. That is in the covering of his wings. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations, and he shall abide before the God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve me. So I will sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Now, I think these words capture more 
of what I'm longing for and striving for in my life. And I think that you probably are striving for in your life. And here we find that David had been pondering God and thinking back. And, and maybe before he wrote these words, images passed through his mind or scenes passed through his mind. Like the time he escaped Saul's spear. Or, or that time he acted insane before Achish's death, and maybe he laughed a little about the silliness of that moment, you know, drool running down his beard so he wouldn't look like a threat. Or maybe it was the day he met Jonathan, or the day that he listened to a woman, Abigail, and she rescued the whole scene. Or maybe it was the time he danced before the ark in his underwear, apparently. Or the time he sat under Nathan's rebuke for his sin. Maybe he was thinking about all those things, and as he was thinking about them, he began to worship. He began to form words that capture what was going on inside of him. Psalm 61. He was saying things like, Thank you for listening to my prayers. You always rescue me. Thank you for being my safe place. You are my home. Thank you for caring for the King. Verse 6. But when we get to that point, he's talking differently. And I wonder if he heard what he said. Did he notice how he said what he said? Between verse 5 and verse 6, there is a shift. And before it, he was talking about I and me. But after it, he's talking about he or him. He had shifted from first person talking about me to third person about talking about me as a him, an other. And I wondered about that. I wondered a lot about that. I actually threw away my sermon when I got to that point because I knew what he was trying to do wasn't what I wanted to do with the text. And I have a theory for you this morning. This is where I want to wander a little bit with you. You need to hang with me because if you lose me, you can tell me afterward, and I'll sit and I'll chat it sort of in with you. But I believe in the midst of his pondering God, those themes and those thoughts and his prayer, that he took a, I'm going to call it a soul drift. He knew where he was. He knew what he was. He knew what he was with God. But in the moment, this moment when these words came to him, he kind of shifted. And he got lost in God even losing track of his normal, sane focus. And it was in that moment, as he shifted from all about me to all about me with him, he had a new perspective. He saw himself differently. And he was able to pray for himself differently. And I think God actually perhaps gave him words to pray for him. Is something he wasn't ever going to see. So here's what I'm saying. David, you and I think about God. But our usual, our usual end result is a focus on me, on you, and what we might still do or need to do. Because you and I, let's be honest, we are masters of petition praying. We have a list. Some of us have a list. Some of the lists are pretty long. And we go through there and say, chop, 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 chop. And I know this because I've done this. 
you've done this. And all we have to do is think about what we prayed in our last prayer. You know, we, we prayed for nice weather. We prayed for a raise at work. We prayed for healing. We prayed for a parking place. We prayed for a safe trip. We prayed for peace around the world and quiet in our own lives for at least a minute every day. And these are not bad things to pray for, and we need to pray for them. But if that's all we pray for, we miss the beautiful thing that David is showing us here. That if we could get beyond that, to get lost in God, could we set me aside enough so that it is God that fills our thoughts and me and God that becomes, becomes the product of my wants? For me. And in that moment, we find ourselves a little bit less, or maybe a little bit more, because we're beginning to see ourselves through God's eyes. So, let's look at the psalm, and let me show you what I think David is doing here. Psalm 61 is a worship song, and it's a prayer. Well, we read in the heading, for the director of music with stringed instruments of David, no weird stuff like last week. Stringed instruments. I don't know what they were, but he had stringed instruments, and that was to be played with this psalm when it was sung. And you know, some of the best songs in life are based on things that really happened. You can relate to it. David prayed this one Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, David's praying here, but he doesn't have a specific current need, or at least it's not voiced. It's more, no matter what, no matter where I am, you are there for me. You are my solid rock. You are my safe place. You are this high tower. It's not specific, but he's capturing what you and I might experience at any moment in our lives. And we do this. We talk with God. We talk about our needs. We talk about our desires. We talk about the state of our hearts, and we should. We talk about the concerns we have for those around us and the world around us. There's a lot of things to be concerned about. I heard some of that in the morning prayer. Thank you, Jen, for walking us through that. But there's other things, and it's like, look around the room here. Some of you are dealing with sickness personally. Some of you haven't told anybody about it. And some of us are watching people around us slip away in the process of trying to die, trying to be with Jesus. Their body's already given up on us. We're watching our world come unraveled. As we think about that, as all of that comes to the surface in our prayers, if we're paying attention to something more than, oh, I wish I had a parking place close to the door because it's raining today. And sometimes, once we get started and we move further out from us, we can do what David did. We move from prayer. We find ourselves praising or petitioning or pondering. Why does that have to do that? I think that's where David was. And he went on in verse 3. For you have been my refuge. A strong power against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. It's not quite a prayer. It's more a conversation. It's 
It's a thought that becomes another thought that becomes another thought. He's kind of reviewing his God journey, the moments when God defended him, when God provided for him, when God was just there. And there were times where David was on the lamb by himself. His very life was in jeopardy, and yet he was okay. God was his tent. And I don't know how safe a tent is when people have weapons, but that's what he used. He was his covering. And then, and then this drift from prayer and conversation to pondering a life with God. Wouldn't it be nice to be with you? That is, David's talking about being with God all the time. That's what forever means, you know. It means all the time. Not just weekdays. Not just on Sunday. All the time. Wouldn't it be nice to know that you were with me all the time? That's what he's done here. And I, I wonder, as he was thinking that, I wonder how far and wide he was thinking. You know, what, did he start by thinking, oh, heaven's going to be so amazing because I'll be there with you? Did, did, he, did he go there? Was he wondering what that was going to feel like? Or perhaps he was a little closer to home. And he was thinking about the warmth of God's embrace in the moment when he was shivering in his own fear and concern. Here and now, then and there, he's looking at a safe place. And I wonder, is, is this what we do? Is this what we're thinking when we're talking to Almighty God when we pray? Or are we just more about our need, the current problem? Can we get beyond that? Is it really prayer if it is only about me? Or our words, do they need to be something else as they reflect a different thing that's going on inside us? David just wanted to be where God was. And you know what? I don't know if he had a theology of an omnipresent God. I don't know how full-blown. I, I know what he said in one of the Psalms. But I don't know if he fully got that. All you theologians are mad. That we can't go anywhere. God's over here. God's over here. He's over there. He's where we are when we're in the midst of our problems. But what he was looking for was what I'm going to call proximity. And it's not stuff. It's a, this shift is kind of, it's a profound shift in his thinking. But he was thinking about knowing that God was where he is, or that he was where God is, and maybe that's more important, because there's some times where I am someplace, even in my thoughts, and I shouldn't be there, and yet I need to know that God is there, because my only way out is God. I think that's what David wanted. Verse 5, for you have heard my vows, O God, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. David knew that God took care of him and that he walked along others' paths of faith. He had inherited that. It was part of his family heritage. But it was more than that because it was personal. He didn't settle for, well, my mama brought me the day after I was born, so I guess I've always been a Christian. There was a personal part of it for him, but he knew he walked a path that others walked and that others were going to walk. David knew that all those who fear God, all those who worship God, have a unique heritage, and yet it is a heritage. 
it comes from, but it becomes mine. It's no one else's. And so, as he was here, he's thinking about the proximity of God. He is nearby, but he's within. This is only mine, but his nearby overlaps all of us. But my relationship with God, David's relationship with God, your relationship with God is very unique because he meets you in that space and place in that moment. And so in our prayers, in our conversing, God blesses. We need, we request, and he blesses. But he does more than that. He meets us in the moment and he helps us become. Don't you want to become what makes Christ smile? I mean, he loves you just the way you are. But I sense in Scripture that he's got high ideals for you and me. As we draw closer to that, as we draw closer to his heart, we realize his Present with us. David prayed God's will in verse 6. Now I'm going to read, comment, read, comment, read, comment, because this is the place where everything turns out. David writes, he says, Increase the days of the king's life. He's talking about himself. Increase my life. For years, for, met, for his years, for many generations. So he prayed for himself, but he prayed bigger than himself because he prayed for many generations. He could be praying for those who would follow in his feet. He could be praying for his influence going forward. But he was no longer just praying for himself. He was praying bigger. And then in verse 7, this, may he be enthroned in God's presence. For, that's that he thing. Not praying for me, but praying for him. The first time he did it, I think he was just looking at himself through God's eyes. But here, may he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. I think God gave him words to see Jesus. He saw himself as this king who was going to lead to these kings who was going to lead to that. He didn't come up with that. But he and God came up with it in this time of prayer. He wasn't just selfishly praying, make me a good king, make me a long king. He was praying forward for the position ultimately filled by one who would hold it forever. That's a beautiful thing. And I'm wondering, could we, you and me, do what he did. Could we hang out with God in such a way that in our processing what's going on between us, in our talking with him, in our processing our thoughts and our activities, might we say something that sounds like, may he be enthroned in God's presence? Might we see something so much bigger than ourselves? And then chase us. for me, honestly, it's usually about me. But in those rare moments when I get lost in God, when it's more about Him or Him in me or Him through me, 
He allows me to see, to ask for things that are bigger than I can process. When I was leaving seminary, I was praying about a pulpit that I was going to fill. I had prepared to be a pastor. I was going to be a pastor of a small country church. And that's what I talked to God about. Actually, that's what I had said. He wasn't part of that conversation, other than he was listening. Because that's what I knew. I grew up in a small country town, surrounded by small country towns. I got saved in a small country church. And I was sure that that was where I was going to belong. And as I was praying through that and processing that with God, I found myself saying yes to being a youth pastor in an inner city church. I'm like, where'd those words come from? Where did the acceptance of that invitation come from? And then a few years later, after an amazing ministry of working with teens and kids and their families, I loved it. You know, some days I miss it. Because when you're a youth pastor, you've got somebody that takes all the slack. Um, but a few years later, I found myself in a very similar situation with a bishop calling me and saying, Hey, you ever think about church planting? I said, No! And he said, pray about it, because we've got a church plant for you. And 13 years later, Carol and I responded to an invitation to go back to a traditional church. I tell you, that was painful. To go from a church with no rules and everything works to a place where whenever you do something unique, you get in trouble and call before the board. If I hadn't, in those moments, with Carol beside me, Listen bigger than me. I would have missed 25 years of amazing ministry. Verse 8. Then I will ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Then. Then, after God has provided. Then, after God has protected. Then, after God has prolonged his serve. Then, after Jesus' reign, then he, or me, or Jesus, or you, or I, or we, will carry through with the things we said we would do. My friends, is this how we pray? Are we praying until our thoughts and desires and intentions, his thoughts and desires and intentions, or do we get in and get out, wrapping up the shopping list before he has a chance to capture our hearts and carry us away? We find out we do something really stupid, like we dumped out our wallet into the offering plate, or we said, "Yes, I will do that," and then like, oh, I don't know how to do that. But God sometimes calls us out to the very edge of ourselves. He says, "One more." Because there is still you, and I want you to do me. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to step beyond the edge of what you know you can do? Are you satisfied with the safety of knowing David went in? He stepped so far beyond the edge of himself. That God gave him a glimpse of others that were going to follow. And as a 
was elected king of Canaan. 